Yes, come on. How are you all doing? Good, good. It's funny because guest speaker, but I never really feel like a guest speaker when I come to this church because being here is like being with family. Uh, I actually spent most of my formative years growing up in the Curragh camp. Uh, originally, my family's from Carlo, and 15 years ago, myself and wife Ludmila uh, were asked to move to Navin. Didn't even know where it was. Uh, that probably helped in my answering, yes, uh, to go uh, and to uh, take over a church. And as Sean mentioned, God has blessed us, not only our family. Uh, in fact, my oldest son, Josh, was here. Josh, stand and give everyone a wave. He'll be 15 this, <laughs> 15 this, uh, this summer. And we have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a one-year-old. So we're just going to keep rolling and see where this train goes. Uh, and my two uh, middle sons are in kids' church, and my wife will be here for uh, the 12 o'clock service with the baby, because she's in Kildare Shopping Village, or why not? Where else would you be? You'd go to two services. But, uh, but yeah, and it's great to be able to, um, you know, whenever I get to meet the Holy Trinity of Sean's, Sean, <laughs> Sean, and Pastor Sean, the capital S Sean, and I was thinking about what, what can trump the Holy Trinity of Sean's? Well, of course, it's St. Patrick, you know what I'm saying? So we have... We have, we, have, we have a very blessed uh, time together with uh, the Holy Trinity of Sean's and St. Patrick. Great job, by the way, Patrick. Great job today. And uh, yeah, come on, a show of appreciation for him. But yeah, look, gre- greetings from my house church. Uh, we really are, you know, I don't know if you understand this language, but we really are a sister church, if I use that language. Like, we really feel an affinity, a connection, not only myself, my family, to your uh, church family and to Sean, your leadership team. Uh, but also our churches uh, have an affinity. And just like you, we have a church in a large country town. We plant in the city. And next March, we'll be planting our third church uh, in Dundalk. So pray for us as we continue to multiply. Because Ireland needs to hear the good news that Jesus lives and Jesus loves and Jesus liberates. And until every single person has had an opportunity to at least hear and reject that message, we're going to keep rolling, planting, preaching, reaching, helping, serving, praying, doing whatever we can to convince the great people of our nation to follow and serve uh, Jesus. And I want to honor this church because you guys have been doing that so faithfully for so long. In fact, I was just during worship thinking about the story of how this church began, Uh, you know, way back in the 90s and how Sean was there in the beginning. And, and just that, you know, sometimes we as Christ followers, if you're here in the room and you're a Christ follower, just listen for a second. Sometimes as Christ followers, we're so funny because we take for granted today what was a thing we were believing for as a miracle yesterday. Like to have people on a Sunday morning at a church in Ireland, that's a miracle. To have your own space to meet in, that's a miracle. The fact that those who are parents could hand off our kids to trained and trustworthy people and they're going to come out saying, I had a great time at church, that's a miracle. I mean, before anything even happens, the very fact that we were able to come to a place today like this is a miracle. So I thank God and I honor the past, I honor the foundation, I honor just God's faithfulness over your church and over your lives. And I just really have a sense in my spirit that the best days for this church are not in the rearview mirror. They're out the windshield. At that, you know, come on, this is the best day for this church are in front of you. We haven't even started yet. And as we think about the future, as we think about God's plan and God's purpose, I just love the fact that you guys have been in this series called Together. Because I don't know a lot about how God's going to do it or when God's going to do it or the way God's going to do it. But what I do know is this, is however God's going to do it, he's going to use all of us and he's going to use us together. Now, I know back in week one, Pastor Sean 
define the word together in the, in the English dictionary. I want to kind of define it, but go a bit further. The word together in the English dictionary is defined as being friends who work together. It's not a great way of defining together. Friends who work together, to work with each other, in conjunction, jointly, in cooperation, uh, in, it should be collaboration or collaboratively, in partnership, in combination, as one, in unison, in one accord, in league, and in an alliance. To be together means we're all these things. It means that we're, there's a sense of where we see a common goal, a, a common purpose, and we say, you know what, it, my life isn't just about me, it's about how I can use what God has given me to help you so that we collectively can make a difference in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our world, that we can be aligned in mission and vision and purpose, and that we can use the resource that God has given us, not just because the most boring and saddest thing in, li- in, in life is to live just for yourself. It's miserable. Living just for yourself is so tragic. But when we can catch hold of the vision that Jesus and God and the Father and the Holy Spirit are generous in nature, and to be like Him means we're generous, not only with our money, but with our time and our talent and our treasure. And then we pool those things together. We say, hey, let's accomplish something together that we could never do alone. There's something exciting there's something supernatural. There's something just enticing about, that, about the potential of when we together pool what we have together to accomplish something for God's glory together. Now, to do that, of course, we need to make the most of what we have. Like I said, we have, we have resources, and thank God for everyone who gave generously today because without your generosity, churches like this, churches like mine, what the, what the, what the kingdom of God is doing around the island would not work. You know, everything that we do is built on the generosity of people who see and believe. But more than that, we also have people serving today. We have people in the production team, people who greeted you. Most of the team here are not paid, people in the kids' church. All these wonderful people who don't just give their resource, but also give their time, give their, they give their energy. And, you know, take, they, they prioritize serving you so this can happen. And, of course, there's gifts and there's talents and there's prayer and there's many other things. But I think what, what the pandemic has taught us more than anything else is that time is precious, yeah? Time is valuable. And time, time is, one of the, is, is one of the only commodities that you can't replenish. Like you can waste money and make more money. You can lose a job and find another job. You can lose friends and make more friends. You can even lose a marriage and have a... I mean, a lot of things that we have in life, we can have more. The possibility and the potentials out there. But when it comes to time... Time is a one and one only thing. There's no way to replenish. There's no way to redeem. There's no way to win back time. Now, as this series is based in Ephesians, I was praying and thinking about what I felt the Holy Spirit wanted to say to you today. I felt God lead me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, and verse 15 to 17. And the Apostle Paul, as you guys know by now, is writing this incredible letter, kind of like a modern-day email, kind of like if you had an Instagram account, this would be the text, a photo of Paul in prison, what's up, everybody, and here's my thoughts. And he's speaking to the church and encouraging them in, in all that God has given them. And the first half, of course, is kind of like, he's trying to explain all the richness and all the blessing and all the benefit of being a Christ follower. But in the second half, he gets really practical. And here in verse 15, he says, kind of summarizing chapter 4 to 515, he says, in response to all I've said, and if you want to know what he said, go back and read it. He said, be careful then. Be careful. With what, Paul? With the weather? Be careful with the, 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 the edge, be careful the step, be careful, be careful. He says, be careful how you live. In other words, what is our natural response to all that God has done for us? 
we should be careful. Not afraid, not intimidated. We should be careful. This is very important. Why? Because, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but as a parent, my kids do things that, especially having four boys, that aren't exactly going to pass the health and safety standard. Are you with me? Uh, and I'm not saying it's only boys, but generally speaking, it seems to be more normal boys. And one of the decisions I made very early on as a father was I was not going to instill fear in my kids. I think a sense of adventure, I think a sense of risk, I think a sense of, of curiosity are good things that should be fostered and encouraged. And I witnessed so many examples where a, a small boy would climb a step or a wall, and the first thing out of the parent's mouth was, be careful, you'll fall. Stop, don't do it. Don't climb that thing because you're going to hurt yourself. And it's almost like we're preconditioning our kids to say, if you try anything that's risky in life, you're going to fall, you're going to fail, and you're going to hurt yourself. Which, how does that help us? I mean, when it comes to launching dreams or companies or, you know, asking someone to marry you, I mean, all these things require risk when it comes to serving God and standing up in your peer group and saying, I can't go with you because I'm a Jesus follower. That requires risk. And so what I, what I decided to do early on was rather than instilling fear, I would still tell them to be careful, but I would say things like calculate, observe, watch your grip, watch your footing, think about this, look how high you are, how far do you want to go, do you have a plan to get back down? Seems to me they have no problem getting back up. Getting back down is the problem. And I want you to encourage them with a sense where, you know, healthy risk, calculated risk, good risk is worth it because sometimes it leads to good rewards. Paul is saying we should go hide ourselves in our bedroom and lock ourselves in the world and be careful in that way. He's saying, hey, pay attention. Be awake. Be alert. Understand the world that we live in and live not as unwise but as wise, and now he's going to explain to us in his definition in this context what the difference between wise and wise is. The wise, he says, are people who make the most of every, come on, say it with me, opportunity. One more time, say it with me, every opportunity. Wise people make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. In other words, the general propensity of our world is not, not towards good. I mean, if ever there was an apologetic for the Christian message, and if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, here's the thought. If ever there was an ex explanation or a defense or a reason for the Christian faith, look at the world. I mean, as the world grows increasingly secular, is it getting better or worse? Well, it seems to me, in my humble opinion, it's getting worse. And in fact, many of the things that we would say, you know, that, uh, that we would say, you know, oh, we, especially in our culture, I'm an atheist or I'm not a Jesus I don't believe in God. What's so interesting to me is when you look at atheist countries like China and Russia and so on, you know, the place with the least amount of freedom in the world are run by atheists. But it's a Judeo-Christian worldview that, that, that says, you know what, people's voice matters regardless of their gender, their ethnicity, their background. Everyone should have a vote. The fact that we even have a choice today is because the democratic world that we live in was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. You see, the, the general propensity of, of life isn't towards good and, and, and the nice and the comfortable. If you've lived in the world for more than 10 minutes, you understand that the general propensity of life is towards evil. Therefore, we should be careful. Not afraid, not paralyzed. We should be careful and make the most of every opportunity. The wise do this. And in verse 17, you know, he makes another differentiation, unwise and wise. It's very common in scripture. You know, many times in Proverbs, the unwise are called foolish and the wise are called 
Wise, very good. And here's the thing, no one's born a fool and no one's born wise. It's a choice we make. You can be a wise person 90% of the time, right? And be foolish 10% of the time. I mean, all of us at every juncture in life have the, the potential to be one or the other. He says, Paul says, foolish people don't make the most of every opportunity because they don't understand what the Lord's will is. Whereas the wise can make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because they know what God's will is. And again, I mean, we could spend a whole series just unpacking that verse, verse 17. What is God's will for the world, for your life, for this church, for all these things? But I want to apply it very specifically within the context of the series to what is God's will for us together? And we've heard a lot about the why and the what. Today what I want to do is I want to bring you to a practical place. I want to answer the question of how. Not why or what, you've already heard that over the last few weeks, but how. And the question we're asking is, is how do we make the most of being together? How do you, practically, how do we do this? And again, I want to apply this principally to our relationship with God, being together with our Father in heaven through the Holy Spirit because of His Son. I want to apply it, being together, us together as, as the body, as a community of faith, as a church. But this applies to your marriage. This applies to your raising of kids. This applies to where you work, to where you study. This applies to wherever other people are involved and a sense of togetherness is required. How do we make the most of being together? Well, Paul says we do so by making the most of every opportunity. An opportunity, by definition, is a place or point in time. So if we're going to make the most of being together, we need time. Why? Because time equals opportunity. You may be able to explain to me how you got here because your past, that's what essentially is. Your, your past is, is a narrative. It's the backstory to how you got here. But the reality is what happens next is unwritten. It's undetermined. It's up to you. I mean, maybe your life has been a disaster from day one to today. And that's sad, but no one has a perfect story. But the truth is, the story is not over yet. And God gives us by grace and mercy and all the wonderful things we've already heard in this series from Ephesians. God gives us through his wonderful grace the opportunity to start writing a better story. Maybe that's the one takeaway for you today is today, make a decision to move towards Jesus and start writing a new and better story. You see, God has given us all, for as long as we draw breath, as long as we suck oxygen, God has given us the gift of time. And time is precious. Time is so precious. I mean, how many of us in this room would say to ourselves, oh, I wish I had more time, or I wish I had used my time more wisely, or I wish whatever. And sometimes it's not even like a regretful kind of thing. Just this morning as I was praying, I was thinking about my own kids. I was thinking, man, like, you know, my kids are growing up. I mean, my oldest is almost 15. I've got a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old. I was looking at my eight-year-old in particular, and I was thinking about, I can remember like yesterday when he was a one-year-old. And it's like, my goodness, like, where has the time gone? Now, here's the good thing. I mean, I look back and not regret because many, many years ago, I read this verse and said, I don't want to be one of those parents who looks back on their children's childhood and regrets it. So I made value-based decisions as a father to make sure I was present and engaged with my kids. It cost me. It cost me, but I look back with no regret. Now, maybe you don't have a story, but the point is this. If you're still here and so are your kids, the potential for grace to change your story is here also. Time is precious. It was William Penn 
the Christian scholar, and also the founder, by the way, of the state of Pennsylvania, who said, time is what we want the most, but what we use the worst. Anyone agree? Time is what we want the most, but we use the worst. What I want to do today is I want to give you practical tools, handles. How do we actually go about and do this? I want to give you four fundamentals to being together, four values, four principles, four handles that we can take with us to apply to our being together. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the word time and I'm going to break it into an acronym and give you four principles. And here they are, T-I-M-E. The first one is tenacity. The second one is intentionality. The third one is methodology. And the fourth one is energy. So the first thing that we need then, if we're going to make the most of being together, is we need tenacity. Say tenacity. Tenacity. The English dictionary defines tenacity as the quality or fact of being able to grip something firmly. Now, I don't know about you, but I think one of the most important values that we need in our world right now is a little bit of old-fashioned tenacity. Like, you don't deserve everything just because you were born. Hello? And nothing is easy. Like, whoever taught you that things are easy? Because they lied. Nothing is easy in life. You think, when I get to the top, it'll be smooth sailing. There is no top. It's just uphill, and then you're dead. God, God determines how far up that hill you get, but ultimately speaking, the top of the hill is Zion, heaven. You know what I'm and we don't walk there unless we're Enoch. You know what I'm saying? We get so far, and hopefully if the greatest privilege any man or woman can experience is, and we accomplish all God's purpose for our life, and we fall asleep. That's it. But there's this, this weird kind of thing has creeped into a world where it's like people are entitled to stuff. And it's like, where, where did you pull that idea from? Look back at human history and show me wherever in any human story people just got stuff because they're entitled. I mean, to be a human being in the world means hard work. Things go wrong. Suffering. Even in like the greatest gifts that life has, a graduation, a wedding, having children, there's always a backstory of suffering. Hello? Has anyone bought their fiancé an engagement ring? Do you know how much those things cost? It took me a year and a half just to pay for the ring. And that was on a whim because maybe she would say no. It's a bad investment. <laughs> Never mind the wedding. Like all the greatest things in life, they're great and they're wonderful and wedding days and photos and flowers, but there was a cost. There was a sacrifice. And the greatest things in life don't fall on our lap. They are fought for and won through tenacity. Do you know that being here this morning required a degree of tenacity? You don't have to be here. You could be in bed. You could be shopping. You could be on holidays. You could be so many other places, but you chose to be here. Uh, choosing to be here and continuing to choose to be here and doing that every single Sunday, 52 weeks a year that you're in the country, that is the kind of tenacity that not only honors God, but is blessed by God. See, sometimes we follow our feelings too much. I don't feel like going to church. Who cares if you feel like going to church? Do you feel like eating? Do you feel like getting your leg fixed when it's broken? Do you, I mean, like, feelings and emotions are important, but sometimes we give them too much space in our lives. And then we wonder, how did I get here? Like, my, 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 my trajectory was, I wanted to get here, but all of a sudden I'm over here. And it's like, because, because the, the reality was A, B, C, D, but you went, I don't feel like that. So I'll just go this way and get over here and be like, 
How? It's not fair. I'm over here. Why aren't I where they are? Look at all those people having a great time. Why, why can't? Because they chose to be tenacious and to go against their feeling and sacrifice even when it was hard to get where they wanted to be. It's not, it's not accident. Like people don't develop and grow and get better life by accident. There's a price. Do you know what makes you know, all those famous sports people who are earning millions of euro? Do you know what the major difference between them and you is? Some of it's talent, but most of it's tenacity. Because when they were 15 and 16, they weren't out with their friends. They weren't playing their video games. They were working at their art, at their craft, to be the best in the world. Fast forward the clock, 5, 10, 15 years, and guess what? They are. And that's rewarded in terms of how they earn. Now again, that's great for a career, but I'm talking about us as a church. I'm saying that you have to fight for this. Going to church isn't just another event on your calendar. It's a priority. God has called us to be together. And even just being together requires a degree of tenacity. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, he says, let's not be weary in doing good. And we can apply in this context doing good to us being together. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, so many marriages could be saved if there was just more tenacity. So many more churches could be planted if there was just more tenacity. God could do so much more to his people if, in the spite of challenge and sacrifice, we determined and chose to be more tenacious. It was Amelia Earhart, the uh, you know, first female aviator and trailblazer, who said, the most difficult thing is a decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. Once you make a decision... I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a Jesus follower. I, listen, you are, you are not born a Jesus follower. You can't be raised a Jesus follower. You don't fall into Christianity. It's like, is he the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes or no? If no, cool. Do whatever the heck you want. If yes, follow him. And when feelings are like, I don't know, pray for strength, but stay following him. Stay following. You know, it's like uh, we heard a speaker recently who was talking about this crazy decision he made where he had this great thing, this great job. He was a pastor of a great church in Chicago and he felt God call him to leave his job and go take up another job that wasn't as good. And when all of his friends were like, what are you doing? You're crazy. We don't understand. We don't understand. He said, understanding can wait, but obedience cannot. There's a lag on the understanding, but the obedience needs to be immediate. We need to follow God. So the first thing we need, if we're going to be together, is we need to be tenacious in prioritizing our time together. Number two, we need intentionality. Intentionality. Why? Because if we just you know, allow our, ourselves to meander on, don't be surprised that we end up in a place, like I said, we don't want to be. Here, here's a saying that I use all the time in our church. Um, direction, not intention. It's actually from Andy Stanley. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. If I left my house in County Mead this morning and turned left, which would make me head north, I'm not getting to Newbridge. I mean, I don't care what I feel or how entitled I am, it ain't going to happen. I'm going to find myself driving off a cliff on the north coast of Ireland. Now, if there was a boat there and there'd be a hole on the earth and I got in Cork, maybe I would, but that's expensive and 20 years of my life would be gone. I might have a longer beard, longer hair, it'd be great. What do you look like Moses? You know what I'm saying? 
So like we, we can have the best intentions in the world, but we need to ask the question, what is my direction? Because your direction will basically determine your destination. It was in Colossians 3.17, the Apostle Paul again said, and whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's interesting that he's not saying that when you're doing something, like tag on or apply gratitude. Like, oh, you're, you're, you're brushing your hair. Do it for the glory of God. He's like, think about what you're doing and ask yourself, can you do this for the glory of God? And if you can't, then why are you doing it? Because everything, there should be a degree of intentionality where when we're making a choice, where it's a relationship choice, a financial choice, choosing a job, whatever it is, the question is, is does this bring ultimate glory to God? Here's one. When a choice, whether it's a person or a job, leads you away from the church, leads you away from being connected in a small group, leads you away from ministry, that is not God. God does not lead his children away from himself. That's weird. God leads his children towards himself into community. And if, we're not, if we haven't made our mind up now as to who we are, if we're not intentional about where we're going, then when we get to that juncture, that junction life, we won't know where to go. It's like, well, I don't know. That looks exciting. That looks like it's going to help me. That looks like it's going to whatever. But when you're intentional about your values, your priorities, about how you want to use your time, about what matters to you, every choice is easy. Here's a secret. When, when we were asked by Seth and wife to move to Navin 15 years ago, it wasn't like we had any call to Navin. We didn't have a call anywhere. Our call was Ireland. It was like, wherever you want us, because I, I, was, I was not a Christ for, not raised in a Christian home. I got saved at 16 radically. And my understanding was, was like, when I read the book of Acts, God said, people did. And God said, and people did. No one told me God said people thought and had an opinion and didn't do that was never an option. So it was like, hey, will you pack, when our son was nine months old, will you pack up your whole life and leave your job and your career and move to Navin and take over to a small little group of people I didn't realize were all crazy, you understand what I'm saying, and lead his church? Like there was, no, there was no need for a conversation. Of course, we prayed, we did the due diligence, but there was no need. Why? Because we knew who we were and we knew what mattered and we knew where we were going. So it was like, this is God. And if it's not God's timing or God's will, generally speaking, it's in the purpose of God for our lives. And there's been times where we were invited to do things that were within God's will and so on, but weren't specifically His will for us. The point is this, too many of us are confused because we're not intentional. Be intentional. Do you know what? Reading your Bible is your first priority. There you go. Forget your breakfast, forget brushing your teeth. Be in the Word. Pray. Come on. Every single day. I mean, how much pastoral care would disappear overnight if Jesus' people were hearing from the Holy Spirit themselves? Hey, sometimes you don't need to phone a pastor. Ask the Holy Spirit. He will tell you. Be intentional. It was uh, John Maxwell who said, an unintentional life accepts everything and does nothing. Whereas an intentional life embraces only the things that will add to the mission of significance. And the primary definition of significance for those who are Christ followers is obeying the voice of the Lord. Bring them glory. But practically speaking, it comes down to our being together. Being like people say sometimes, oh, I can't make small group. I'm busy. Doing what? What is more important than being connected in community with God's people? 
Okay, so you made a choice. That's great. Go back and undo that choice and be more intentional making better choices. Because we want to be wise. We want to know what the Lord's will is and we want to make the most of every opportunity. So we need to be tenacious, intentional. Number three, we also need a methodology. I know that's a bit of a mouthful. But a methodology is where we get the word method from. And all a method is, is a plan. A good methodology means having a good plan. Now you plan your holidays, right? Hopefully you have a financial plan. Maybe you've got a plan for today. You know, my whole family are going to come down today and join me. My parents come from Carlo. My in-laws are coming from Navin. My brother who's pastoring a Navin location is going to drive down here. We're all going to Nace Racecourse for the Irish Veterans Day for the Defense Force. You should all go there and encourage and bless those guys. And we're all going to hang out. We've got a plan for the day. You with me? Like we plan the things that matter most. What's your plan for your faith? What's your plan for your family? I don't mean having a day. I mean, for your, like, what is your plan for your kids? What is your plan for your marriage? What is your plan for your future marriage if you're single? Because if you're hoping that you're going to be a disaster and one day marry Prince Charming, forget about it. You marry who you are and what you are. The best way to find the person you, you want to be with is be the person you want to be with. Because if you want a godly, God-honoring, generous, sacrificial person, they're going to find you if you're like them. So what's your plan for your friends? Some of us just have friends because they're the only people that answer a text message. That's a bad way to make friends. You need a plan and be intentional for what kind of friends are because your friends shape your future. So, you know, modern psychology has proven that most of us, or nearly all of us, can only rise to the, to the level which the five closest friends around us believe we can be. If those five friends don't believe in you or, or have any space for your faith, they're not good friends. How about your future? I'm not saying you have to have all the details sorted out because no one does. But are you at least in the right direction? I mean, are you over here full of good intention? Are you at least saying, you know, I don't know the outcome, I don't know the, the destination, I don't have a clear picture, but I do know today I'm making a right step towards what God has called me to do. As one person said, a good plan today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. And again, I say a plan, I don't mean a detailed step by step, I just mean some form of system. Some, some, some idea, some picture, some clarity in your mind as to who you want to be. Again, we see this in Scripture in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6-7. Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's a plan. What is the antidote to anxiety? How do we protect our hearts and minds? I mean, our hearts and minds are being bombarded right now. Heart being the seat of morality, mind being the seat of intellect. I mean, constantly in the media, there's a war, there's a battle for our hearts and minds. What do you believe? What do you think? What's your opinion of vaccines, not vaccines, lockdowns, not lockdowns? I mean, the month that we're in, all the things. I mean, we're constantly being bombarded with thoughts and images and questions. And, and the question we're asking is, what, 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 way, what, what tools do I have to protect my heart and mind? Well, Paul says simply here. Hey, you don't have to be anxious about anything. What a wild claim. You don't have to be anxious about anything. Anything. But anything. So what do I do with all my anxiety? 
Well, convert it into prayer. Whatever causes you to be anxious, take all that energy and send it to God in prayer. And as we put up to God the reasons for our fears and anxieties, as we present them with petition and thanksgiving, this incredible thing happens. God takes the weight of our anxiety and gives us in its place his peace. A peace that, this is so cool, that transcends, that goes above. We can't understand, you can't explain it. It's like, thanks for that, God. I mean, you basically doom preachers the rest of history to try to explain something that's inexplicable. You know what I'm saying? Like it goes above and beyond all you understand. It guards our hearts and minds in Christ. There's a plan for anxiety. We need a plan for being together. I tell my team at home, listen, if you're going to book holidays, like midweek, go Monday to Saturday. Don't miss church. And if you're going to go away for two weeks, that's cool. But like, when you're planning family events, people are saying, hey, you're free Saturday. Like, orientate your life around your priorities, your faith, your marriage, your kids, your church, your job, your community. Because people don't end up in the end where they are by accident. They get there on purpose because they make choices. So tenacity, intentionality, a methodology, and lastly, energy. Come on, everybody. When I was 20 and had my first son, it was easy. I had loads of energy. I could match his energy. I'm saying, you want to run around the tree? I can do it 10 times. You want to climb the stairs? I can do it 10 times. You want to repeat this, you know, fix this thing? I can do it 10 times. Then I was late 20s, had two more. You want to run the tree? I can do it five times. Now in my late 30s, you run the tree, I'll watch you. It's my son over here. Go again, son, go again. It's like, man, I mean, if, if time is, 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 is an unreplenishable asset, so is energy. And one of the most important things you've got to protect is, is where your energy and who and where you choose to spend it. And of course, if you look at the English definition, energy is defined as strength. But energy isn't just strength. Energy is action. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28, the Apostle Paul says, He is the one we proclaim that is Jesus, admonishing, which means to encourage, and teaching everyone with all wisdom, there it is again, so that we may present everyone fully mature to Christ, verse 29, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. How cool is it to know that there is a supernatural energy available to all of us? But our energy levels are limited. And we need to be careful. Where we invest our energy? Because if we're saying, I want to be together, but we're spending our energy not together, then how strong is our together going to be? But if we together invest our energy in together, how much energy is there in there together? Like, think about this. A couple of hundred or several hundred people call Open Arms Newbridge their home. Can you imagine what we could do with the energy all those people pooled together? What are some of the biggest problems this community has that we could solve overnight just because we pool our energy? Now, we're a church, so I'm not even talking about physical strength. I'm talking about supernatural power. You see, the power is not in the methodology. The power is in the Christ of the methodology. We have a, we have a power at work within us that is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's available to us every single day. The question is, where is it being invested? It was Benjamin Franklin, the former president of the United States, said, energy and persistence conquers 
all things. I'm going to invite the band to come. We're going to pray. Energy and persistence conquers all things. You see, if we want to make the most of being together, we've got to use our time wisely. Time is precious. I want to encourage you today. Let us live wisely. But more than just saying that to you, I'm saying goodbye. I want to give you practical handles. I want to challenge you to prioritize the relationships that matter most, your marriage, your kids, your church, and so on and so forth. I want to encourage you to, to think about the direction of your life because all of us have a dream and a desire of where we want to be, but you're not going to get there by accident. You get there on purpose. My question is, is how are you orienting your life to achieve that purpose? Rather than just saying, hey, be wise and here's some thoughts, I want to say, hey, be tenacious in your faith. Be tenacious in your Bible reading. Be tenacious in your, in your participating of church. Be tenacious in being in a small group. Be tenacious in your generosity. Be tenacious in serving. Be tenacious. Be intentional. Have a plan.